greetings to you this morning in Jesus' name. You know, I was thinking, very fitting, very beautiful song to conclude our Sunday school discussion with Roderick. Uh, you know, I was thinking as we were discussing those verses, you know, if, if, if we would not have seen the text, you know, those verses sound like New Testament material, wouldn't they? Uh, you know, after the fact that Christ has come, and yet the Old Testament people, I think, as they expressed their faith, could experience that too, as they look forward to that coming. The idea of having that peace and, and perfect peace, not just peace, but perfect peace, and, and the relationship of having your mind stayed on on Christ, on God. As I was meditating here in the Sunday School lesson, I had to think that, you know, really the, the biggest, single biggest difference between God and us is the fact that God is eternal and we're finite. Uh, you know, and we tend to focus on, on what's in front of us today and, you know, what we're facing today, whether it's a trial, affliction, or a problem, uh, you know, that's what gets our attention. We're so short, our attention span is so short, uh, and our mind is so sometimes limited. And uh, the fact that God is eternal, he knows, and I think of that different times when I lay my head in my pillow at night, I lay down to sleep, and I'm done, I'm finished with the day. And there's God, you know, doesn't he ever burn out? Doesn't he ever get tired? You know, that's amazing to think that we serve a God like that. And, and I simply trust my life to him. And I wake up the next morning, I'm refreshed, ready to, you know, go at another day. And, you know, he's still there, just the same, yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, truly an amazing God that we, we do serve. <clears throat> Turning your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. I want to read the first 18 verses. John 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the light was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him, and cried, saying, this was he whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Now we're, we're jumping from the Sunday school lesson to what they were into, what their anticipation was here. And John is, is giving, uh, a revelation of that. So I was 
meditating this week, I, I came across a quote by an ancient church father who reads like this, He became what we are so that he might make us what he is. And that's exactly what we have depicted here in this passage in John 1. He became what we are so that he might make us what he is. He was willing to become flesh so that he could redeem us in our fallen, from our fallen nature. So there's a difference of approximately, as you think of the, uh, uh, a number of things I want to pick out of this passages here in this through verses 1 through 18 as I meditated on the truths that John was conveying to his people. The first thing that I notice is the aspect of time. John begins, he says, in the beginning was the word. Uh, and we can turn our pages back to Genesis chapter chapter 1 and we can see about the beginning of time. As we believe God, as we put our, uh, have our understanding of his word, we have an understanding of, of the beginning of time as we know it. Uh, we don't have to fabricate or or uh, put together some kind of a a uh, thesis or man devised concept of how things began. We have it explained to us here in black and white how the beginning began, and God, of course, was involved in that. And not only was God involved in that, but Jesus Christ was involved in that. We see that here in the beginning was the the Word, and that Word is referred to as as Jesus. So we can go back, time span approximately about 2,000 years in these pages from John back to Genesis approximately and see how the beginning was uh, that John is referring to here. In the beginning was the Word, and uh, that Word is Christ, and Christ had a beginning before the beginning that we see here in Genesis uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. God, of course, we know is eternal, and that's beyond our our finite mind's comprehension. You know, I I know when I had my beginning in my life. You know, when you're Dwight's wanting some facts, when you had your spiritual beginning, uh, and we we tend to to benchmark experiences in our lives. You know, important things and events that happened, and that's okay. But, you know, God is, is infinite. We are finite. As I, I thought about time and Jesus coming to earth, you know, he became uh, flesh. Verse 14, the word was made flesh, referring to Christ being made flesh. You know, as I, I thought about that aspect of time, you know, Jesus coming at, in the fullness of time, I think we mentioned it this morning in the Sunday school lesson. I think that those verses are in Galatians chapter four, and I'll look at them maybe just a little bit later. But as I, I thought about as Jesus beginning his earthly ministry, you know, we talk about a beginning, but that was not really the beginning of Jesus. It was the beginning of his ministry. It was the beginning of his incarnate life as we know it. And the uh, purpose was to provide redemption for mankind after what transpired. You stop and think about that. You know, Jesus there in the beginning of time and saw the beauty of God's original creation and then saw the fall of it, uh, the, the choices that man made that took, that, that, that destroyed the beauty of that fellowship and relationship with God and then what that was going to do to him, what that was going to cost him as coming and being a physical sacrifice for you and I and, and all the people between the beginning of time from Adam up through and throughout to the end of time, whenever that is. See, I don't even know when that's going to be. Nobody here knows when that's going to be. But there's people. That salvation, that redemption is all 
all hinged on that cross experience of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, the shed blood that he uh, made atonement for our sins. But I'm getting off track here. What I wanted to say was I thought about Jesus in the beginning of time. Is he? And I'm not sure what his involvement was in the creation exactly. We believe there were one, so he was involved in the creation. Uh, to what, what degree, I'm not exactly sure, and I can't fully explain it. But, you know, as I thought about Jesus coming and, and, and doing his, during his earthly ministry, you know, the miracles he performed, you stop and think about the, the physical miracles he performed, you know, is it any wonder that he had that capability? I mean, he created us. Uh, the demoniac, the, uh, the, the lame, the palsy, the lepers, you know, he understood that. Uh, and then the natural, the calming of the sea. Well, you know, that's, that was minute compared to creating it. And, you know, just a little disturbance here or there. And, and you know, he could fix it just like that. Uh, is it any wonder that he had this, those capabilities? Because he was back there when it was created. Uh, just a little concept. I mean, I, and I guess the illustration Micah gave, you know, yeah, Ellis gave about his pickups. You know, that's somebody that creates something is, is, has an inside track on what, you know, than, than me trying to fix something that I haven't created. You know, it's uh, it's a whole different issue. As I, I thought about back in the beginning, and as I was thinking about, you know, the, the first messianic promise we see is in Genesis chapter 3.15. One of the many 3.15s in the scripture, and that is the first one we see uh, in, in the scripture, Genesis 3.15. That was after the fall of man, and God gave that promise to... Uh, to Adam and Eve there, he said in Genesis 3.15, my Bible has the the Messianic promises in the Old Testament marked with a star, and then you can go forward to them in the New Testament, they're fulfilled where their fulfillment is marked with a, a dark star. So this is a light-colored star here, and it's the first Messianic promise that we have. And Jesus and God said it like this, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And that's talking about the plan of redemption that, that's going to be found in Jesus Christ. And it's, he was addressing the uh, the uh, defeat of Satan here. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And, and it's interesting. I thought it was interesting. Someone, one of the commentators brought out the idea that, and, you know, Eve... Uh, partook of the fruit first, and he he gives he particularly mentions that it, he the the woman's seed being that deliverance. Now, again, we know that that was provided through God that virgin birth of Jesus Christ that we're reading about here in John, which made the sacrifice, which made the the Lamb of God truly what it really was. And uh, again, that's you know it's uh, it, it's a it's a miracle of God that uh, that could be accomplished. And as I thought about Jesus knowing that role, knowing that what he was going to play in that Genesis 3.15 promise there, that it was going to be him that was going to provide that redemption. Let me just turn back to those verses in Galatians chapter 4. Um, talks about in the fullness of time. This is Paul here writing to the Galatians. Do I have a wrong reference? 
Yes, verse 4. I said verse, I say verse 7. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time, and there's my black star. <laughs> uh, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that he might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now those are precious verses if you stop and think about what God is actually saying there. Uh, he provided redemption. He, re- he provided redemption for us through his son. Uh, send forth not only his son, but he also gave us a spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live within us so that we can respond like sons and children of God. We can't do it in our own strength, but he's giving us the ability. I think Tony talked about this one in the meetings while he was here. That spirit living within us gives us the characteristics of God, just like we have the natural characteristics of our paternal uh, forefathers. So we can be son, the son made of a woman, to redeem us so that we, you and I, can be sons and daughters of God. The second thing that I notice in this text here is, uh, first of all, the beginning, Christ was in the beginning. God was in, Jesus was in the beginning. Uh, the second thing I want to notice is the coexistence with the Father. Uh, verse 18, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And then notice verse 2, The same was in the beginning with God. You know, as I thought about the revelation of who God is, you know, uh, my ability to relay and... and uh, and describe to you God's capabilities is, is limited to what is within the pages of this book and maybe my personal experiences I relate to him and you can share some of your personal experiences. Those can be very powerful. But you know, who better is qualified to to reveal who God is other than the Son who is coexisting with him? And I think that's a powerful uh, truth that we need to, to uh, accept. Who better to accept I mean, who better to reveal? And we need to accept that than the Son. I, as I think about God, as I think about Jesus revealing who God is, I think of a clear revelation of God. Uh, you know, there's no uh, second guessing. It's Jesus revealed God in clarity. And uh, it's the Word. Jesus is the living Word, we believe. The Jesus' life and the Word are synonymous. Uh, and you and I should be, our word and our life should be synonymous as well. And our lives should be synonymous with uh, who we are. Uh, if we have God's spirit living within us, it ought to be, it ought to match up to what, like we ought to be sons and daughters of God as well. And as I thought about clear revelation of God, I thought about accurate revelation of God. Uh, you know, that's what Jesus revealed in his, in his life, in his coming. We, we understand some concept about his love. We understand some, uh, some of the concepts of who he is and, and what he wants from us. Jesus revealed that. Verse 17, it says, the law was given by Moses. Now the law, uh, revealed, uh, you know, man's need of, 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 of a savior. We can turn to Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 24, and there the law it tells us, Galatians 3.24 tells us that the law tells man how sinful he is. The law reveals our sin. 
But what are we going to do about it? We need that redemption that Christ provided. The remedy is in Jesus Christ this morning. The law was by Moses. God gave that law back in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament people lived by that law. They had to meet the the requirements of that law. And, and you know, we they were... Often coming up, you know, they had to do the sacrifices. They had to do all the uh, the requirements of the law. We, today, that penalty has been paid. That price of redemption has been paid. We can live above that law if we have the Spirit of God living within us. And again, that is, the remedy is in Jesus Christ, and that's grace and truth. We see that expression, I think, a couple of times in this passage of Scripture here, verse 14, full of grace and truth. As you think of grace, you think of God's character, and you think of truth, that which is, 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 uh, absolute, that which is, is accurate and clear. And Jesus revealed that, and we can experience that manifestation of grace and truth in His, uh, plan of redemption, and the way it affects my life as I reach out and appropriate that, uh, plan of redemption in my experience and your experience as well, if we follow uh, the leading of His Spirit in our lives. So we notice God in the beginning. Pardon me, we notice Jesus, Jesus in the beginning, the Lamb of God. We notice His coexistence with God, the Father. Thirdly, we notice it brings out the idea of life. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. And I want to talk, first of all, about the life aspect of it. You know, how would you define life? If you were defining life this morning, how would you define it? Is it uh, living the American dream? Is it uh, a four-day work week? Is it a seven-day work week? Hope not. Six-day work week, whatever, 24-7. How would you define life? And I'm sure if we would uh, canvas the country today, we'd get a, a wide idea of what life is or their anticipation of life. You know, there's people that stay focused in life. They, they say, well, we've got to have a mission. We've got to have a mission statement. I'm not saying that's wrong. Uh, I think it's good to, sometimes we can have things, uh, expressions, statements that help us to keep our focus where it ought to be. Sometimes we, we need goals. Uh, okay, we, we will achieve this if we, you know, this is our number one goal. We get this goal here, and then we go to goal number two, and goal number three, and goal number four, and... You know, that's, that's okay too. Um, sometimes we say, well, we need a purpose. Uh, we need a purpose to understand what life is. And that's okay too. Uh, as I thought about what life really is, I had to ask myself, okay, what would God define life as? What would God define life as? And what personally, what would God define my life as? What, what does he want from my life? What does God want from your life is a good question, a good place to start. Because I believe that's when we find the truest fulfillment in life is when we're doing what God wants us to do. Whether it's by missions, statements, whether it's by goals, or whether it's by purposes, I'm not going to say. You know, we all have our different uh, tendencies, I guess. Uh, but I guess the question I have to ask myself, I think, is, is how would God define my life? And, and what would he want from my life? And then I ask myself, how closely would that parallel what what I am establishing as my mission statements or my goals or my purposes, etc.? 
Uh, and, you know, the closer those two align, what, what my mission statements are, what my purposes are, what my goals are, to what, what God wants from me, I believe that's when we experience life to its fullest. You know, when I, as I thought about life, I, I thought about Jesus in his earthly ministry. You know, how would you describe the life of Jesus? How would you describe that? As I thought about Jesus, the Word, as we see it described here, John talking about Jesus, knew Jesus personally during his earthly ministry, was there with him. It says that, he says in verse 14, he says, And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the, of the Father. John's saying, I had a personal relationship with him. And each one of us, I believe, needs to have a personal relationship with him. But we, we will not experience it probably to the degree that John experienced it. And so I'm taking John's word for it here this morning. And you need to accept that too, because I believe it's inspired by the Spirit of God. But when I look at the life of Jesus, I see a life of giving. I see a life of sacrifice. I see a life of love. I see a life of compassion. I see a life of humility. I see a life of service. How popular are all those things today? How willing am I going to be to embrace all of those things? A life of sacrifice, love, humility, service, compassion, and doing the will of his Father. That was what Jesus stayed focused on. He said, I need to do the will of my Father. I need to bring that to completion. My friends, this morning, if we are willing to embrace those same truths, You'll have a life, I believe, that'll be be rewarded beyond this time. Life. We need to experience life. We sometimes say, get a life. I say you can get a life if you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. The fourth thing that I noticed, and I already mentioned, is uh, uh, the light. Uh, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. You know, so I thought about the... Uh, Back in the beginning again, Jesus being the spiritual light, the world in darkness, uh, world in a spiritual darkness. You know, here we have in Genesis 1, we find verses 3 and 4, and, the, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from, from the darkness. You know, that was the beginning of time. And God, God created light. God divided the light from the darkness. And that was, in a, I believe, in a natural sense. But you know, as we think of the Jesus coming into the world in spiritual darkness, He provided a light that was, that was going to separate the light from the darkness in a spiritual sense. Light originated with God. Notice in dropping down to verse 9, it, it describes Jesus as, That was the true light which enlighteth every man that cometh into the world. So every man needs that light of Jesus Christ in his heart and life. Otherwise, our hearts are dark. Our lives are dark. We need to have our lives enlightened by that true light. I want to turn back to 1 John chapter 2, um, talking about some traits or characteristics of true light. Here, here's some things we can check ourselves with. 1 John 2, verses uh, beginning at verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past. And the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. 
I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And I want to stop there. Um, but uh, there we have some traits of, of spiritual darkness and light. And again, it, it, it's laying it out so that we can understand it, that there is, if there is hatred, there is darkness. And hatred with our fellow man, our brother, there is darkness. But that light, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light. Clear, 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 easy to understand. Light and darkness. Love and hatred. If you and I have the light of the word of God in our lives, it will shine. We have the light of God. We have the true light within us. It will shine. We will be miniature lights of Jesus Christ. Verse 12, going back to our text here in verse John 1. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You and I are, are sons of God, and we can radiate that love. We can radiate that light. And I wanted to uh, read a few verses in Ephesians yet, too, talking about the aspect of light. Children of light, I think, is the expression I wanted to pick out there. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses beginning also at verse 8. For ye were sometimes, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are ye the light of the Lord. But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And I like that expression. We need to walk as children of light. We need to have expressions of love. We need to have expressions of uh, kindness. We need to have expressions that, that reflects who we are. Who our Father is. Verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. It's not what we're conjuring up. It's what the Spirit of God is bringing out in our lives. Verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Remember what I said about our lives? We need to understand what the will of the Lord is for my life, for your life. We need to understand that. Verse 18, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the living word that was that came down from God to provide for us that ability to be walking as children of light. It's descriptive of what God is anticipating from us. So I thought about the aspect of light. There was an incident that that uh, in the New Testament that I, I'm sure probably you would think of too in Acts chapter 9. It's a very pronounced experience with one of God's children. Acts chapter 9 is, is Saul's Damascus road experience. Uh, Acts chapter 9, begin reading at verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound Unto Jerusalem. 
And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And I've seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, and answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to hear, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou comest, as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight for with forthwith and arose and was baptized. I mean, he received meat and was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. That living word that came and made was flesh among us. Saul had a, a personal confrontation with that living word, with that light from heaven. Um, as I thought about that, Experience of the Apostle Saul. And, uh, you know, I guess I'm trying to think uh, what was mentioned in the Sunday School lesson this morning about, uh, this is another example of that, but I, as I was reading and studying, I, I found it interesting. In Galatians chapter 6, this is uh, Paul writing to the Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, I think it is. Yeah, in writing to the Galatians, says, Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. And I always took that to be the length of the letter. And this commentator was saying, well, no, it's it, because of his eye problems, it might have been the, the height of the letters that he was using. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, it's immaterial, really. But I thought that was rather interesting. Uh, you know, talk about different concepts. And something similar was made to that uh, in this uh, concept of the, uh, we sometimes, we get our, our, uh, our mind fixed on something, and I thought, well, that was interesting. There could be some truth to that, that maybe he was writing big letters if he had eye issues. We know it seems like there seems to be some uh, sight issues, physical sight issues. We know that Paul didn't seem to lack spiritual vision. And uh, once he met the Lord, why, he was certainly... Uh, it is interesting, Paul does talk a lot about the eyes. Another example would be that Paul used... Uh, is in Ephesians, and this is Paul, not Saul now. He changed, but uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, 
he does this, uh, he makes this expression that I thought was interesting, verses 17 and 18 of Ephesians 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now notice verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory, of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints. So Paul seemed to have a real uh, passion that, okay, maybe I've got physical limitations with my physical eyesight, but you know, that's secondary. The so spiritual vision is really what makes a difference. And can I accept that? Can I understand that today? We see there in the Acts account there that God clearly told Ananias, and I, I, my heart certainly goes out to Ananias. I mean, you know, that had to take courage <laughs> to go to somebody like Paul, Saul, and, uh, you know, impart him, welcome him as a brother, and, uh, you know, and explain to him, you know, here's the Holy Ghost coming as well, and the scales falling off his eyes, and uh, then being a chosen vessel, he clearly says that, uh, uh, you know, as I think about Paul being a chosen vessel of the Lord, you know, when life gives, I, I thought of this expression, we have uh, a, a plate down in our basement says, and I, I see it numerous times when I go downstairs, but, you know, when life gives you more than you can stand, you need to kneel. Um you know, there's there's many times we face things that are so much bigger than us, and you know the the, the way we need to when it's we've got more than we can stand, we, it brings us to our knees, and that's when God can minister to our souls. A few verses from Ephesians. Pardon me, from Philippians here. While I'm back close here, Philippians chapter uh, three. Thinking about the aspect of of light and sight. <coughs> Ephesians, pardon me, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. Yes, I I put these verses in here. They're, 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 uh, 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 how would you say, uh, um, what's the word I want? Um, An expression of Paul's life. He says, for, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I counted all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is in the law, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. And that's what the light does. God will reveal those things that are keeping you and I from being what we ought to be. Paul tells us that God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing, brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. And I'll stop reading there, but, uh, you know, God needed to get Paul, I believe, to that place. And, uh, you know, he was down on his knees, he was blinded. And, uh, 
You know, it's a place where we need to be. Each one of us needs to be down. We need to meet God at the foot of the cross, on our knees. And, uh, you know, Paul asked some good questions when God had him down there. He said, who art thou? And what will you have me to do? And I believe those are questions we need to ask to have a full understanding of what my life is all about, that I might experience the life that God wants for me. What wilt thou have me to do? Get in the light of God's word. That's, that's as Paul said, he'll reveal that to us. We need to get in the light of God's word to, to find those answers. Uh, Paul had a rather dramatic experience. Uh, he was a chosen vessel. That doesn't mean you and I aren't chosen vessels. We, our experiences are different. Uh, as I thought about, you know, some of the questions we could ask, uh, how can I? You know, we're down on our knees. We want to know about life. We want to know what God wants us to do. How can I be a better church leader myself? How can you be a better church member? How can I be a more godly marriage partner, father, mother? How can I be a better child, better student, etc.? You know, those are questions we need to ask ourselves if we're serious about being what God wants us to be. So I thought about that. You know, are we afraid sometimes to ask because of what the light of God's word might reveal? Maybe we're satisfied. Maybe we're static. Maybe we're uh, complacent would be a better word, better choice of words perhaps. Maybe we're complacent where we're at. Uh, you know, we're getting by. But you know, it's, it's when we, when we get up to the point where we're against the wall that we cry out to the Lord. You can ask, you can formulate your own questions. Those are just some questions that came into my mind as I meditated on that concept. You know, if God had struck me down there on the Damascus route, what would have been the questions that I would ask? Well, the fifth thing that I noticed back in our text there in, in the Gospel of John is the fact there's new family ties there. Notice in verses 11 through 13 there, he came unto his own, his own received him not, and we know what happened there. They rejected him. And that's so sad, you know, the opportunities that were there. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. That's that's available for us today. Am I a part of that family? Do I have faith? It takes faith to to accept that. I don't have a I can't trace a genealogical trail back to that and say that's where I belong. It's a first generation experience, and you and I need to experience it from that concept. It takes repentance, turning from darkness to light. It takes confession orally. Confess with thy mouth. Believe in thine heart. It takes confession by the life that I live. New family ties. The sixth thing that I notice here in this expression of Jesus coming, that he accomplished is the expression of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John said that's absolute, that's true, it's there. There's grace and truth in that life expression of Jesus Christ this morning. Turning ahead in the book of John to John 14. Beginning reading at verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. But Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the, the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And you know what he told us when he said, I go to the Father, I will give you the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, which empowers us to do the work of, of Jesus Christ in the 21st century, if you want to make it practical. And whatsoever ye ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God is looking for fruit from our lives so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. Verse 14, If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And that's talking about the Spirit. Verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live. Ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him." Very precious truths in those in, in that message that Jesus left with his disciples that you and I can claim today to know that we have the love of God the Father because of our acceptance of his Son. God, God invites us into that level of relationship. I'd like to just conclude by quoting, rather reading a portion of an article, uh, out of a periodical that I received. It's actually rather old. I had it in my archives here. It's back dated 2013, but... Jesus was full of truth, and I'm looking for the author, uh, Alan Sadley. Jesus was also full of truth. The Jews argued about the meaning of the law of Moses, interpreting it, interpreting it, interpreting it endlessly. The Greeks and the Roman philosophers debated over what truth was, or if it could ever be known. Jesus, on the other hand, lived truth, and in doing so, defined it. All attacks arrayed against him will prove false, as Christ stands as the embodiment of truth. When the world had sunk into hopeless into a hopeless state, God did more than regard it with pity. He did more than draw near to it or even send bursts of blessing for relief. He did what only an all-powerful and loving God could do. And as I quoted in the beginning, the church father, Anthemus, so eloquently expressed, he became what we are so that he might... Make us what he is. Do you want to know what God is like? John said the only answer is in the word Jesus Christ. It is for this reason the unknown hymn writer sang in tribute. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus to thee be glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. O come, let us adore him. 
O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. May that be our experience as we approach this Christmas season that we truly could have a relationship with the word that was made flesh and dwelt among men.